So will you turn with me to the book of Job, and I want to draw your attention to the first chapter. We'll start in verse 18. Job chapter 1, verse 18. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Holy Spirit, we sense your presence and your speaking to us of your power and your sovereignty. It has been clear in every song. And Lord, it is clear in this passage we have just read. And so rise up by your presence and impact our hearts today with this word until it goes with us to be not only a foundation but a source of motivation in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Last Sunday night, Kelly and I were enjoying some fellowship with the deacons and their wives. And as we were about to leave, across the television came the breaking news that the tornado had hit Joplin. We saw that the hospital had been damaged. And for the first time in my life, I saw on breaking news the request for firemen, nurses, and rescue workers to please come. Just anybody with any skill like that, would you come? Saying to us that the storm had been major. Obviously, it was at night, and we watched the best we could from different news sources, and we could see the damage by way of television light, but it wasn't until early Monday morning that we realized uh, the storm was about three-fourths of a mile wide, and, and it just barreled right through Joplin. So stirred by what I was seeing, I asked some of the pastors, just let's go. Uh, not knowing if we could get into the city or not, but felt we should try. Uh, a couple of the exits were blocked, but we found entrance into the city and then into a neighborhood. Uh, from the neighborhood where we were on Monday morning, we could see the hospital over in the horizon. And we were greeted by one house after the other that had suffered so much damage or was completely gone. We will never forget those sites. They're branded on our hearts and our minds and the faces and I want to talk about it today. Upon our return on Monday, we simply sent out what we call a text blast. If you've given us your mobile phone number, then we can send out a text message and it goes to any number that we have. And if you're not on that list, we encourage you to get on it because we sent out a text blast saying if anybody wants to join, meet in the morning, which would have been last Tuesday morning, and, and we will get our, our way there and we'll serve the best we can. And I want you to know that 60 people showed up early on Tuesday morning, bringing the equipment that they had, people of all ages, and 10 vehicles carrying 60 people. We made our way into Joplin, and we served those people. And I want you to help me show appreciation to those 60 people who were able to go. The video that we showed you, most everyone you saw that was working in those videos were people of that team. 
And so they did an extraordinary job. And I know that every single one of you would have gone if you could. Because that's your heart. As we served there, again, we were just met with stories and situations that we won't ever forget. When the team and I got there on Monday, the very first day, we, we were greeted by this family. It was like a grandfather out trying to clear a pathway into the house. The husband and wife in the house trying to collect things that, that belonged to their little baby. They were in a, in a temporary shelter and they were trying to get some things that they needed just to get through the day. It told us about how the dad and the little baby were trapped in Walmart for a couple of hours but got out and were not harmed. The, the mom was trapped in the home where we were working but she was able to be freed and they were finally reconciled after not knowing uh, how the other was doing and just, just the trauma of that. And, and the first lesson that began to rise out of that was a reminder to me that life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. You see, Job in, in this first chapter, it was just another day. That's what the first 17 verses teach us. He got up that day as he always had and he prayed. He sought the face of God in worship and then he interceded for his family. He had no idea that by the end of the day, he would have gotten four messages speaking of devastation. The worst being that his family was killed in a storm. The people of Joplin got up last Sunday morning, just one week ago today, and they had no idea that by 6 o'clock this tornado would be barreling through their city and that so many would lose their lives and so many of the homes would be destroyed. You see, life is unpredictable. As I talk to these different individuals and I, and, and I recall their faces, even the faces of that first family, when we turned into that neighborhood and we came to the very first family, got out of the vehicle we were in, we didn't have a lot of equipment and we just said, can we help? The look on their faces was just one of shock, one of surprise. And I was reminded that in, in this life that's unpredictable, that suffering is, is surprising. You see, we're just not expecting it. It, it comes and... It's just so difficult. We made our way up that one street where we were working. This was Monday and Tuesday. And you could see over in, on the horizon what was left of the high school. Many of you have seen pictures of this on the television. And the class of 2011 had celebrated their graduation. And, and no sooner gotten out of the building until this tornado was coming and ripping through. And now you see what is left of their school. And the stories of some of these these graduates who were killed, you know, suffering is surprising and life is just not safe. These are the things we're learning. It's like we were going block to block and each block just it seemed to say a different message to me all under this whole thought of how unpredictable life can be. When we made our way up one street, you could work in houses that were severely damaged, but at least they were standing and by the time we got to the end of that street, which was really in the direct path of the tornado, there was nothing left. And we've got a picture of this for you. I mean, only the trees left standing, they didn't even have the bark on them anymore. It's just, it, it's just totally gone. And these people are standing around just pillaging through all of that debris. On, on Tuesday afternoon, we were working with a family. And this guy told us he was trying to find a wedding band. And I mean, this house is completely destroyed. And some of you may have seen this story on Facebook. It's one that we posted. I won't ever forget it. As one of our team members, as they're 
working through of all that debris finds this wedding band and is able to give it back to this guy. It was just amazing. You know, and all these people did to try and be safe. They, they had a few minutes of warning and no doubt they were taking shelter. But in their best efforts, there were just no way to be safe. You see, death is unavoidable. Uh, 142 people now confirmed dead and still people are missing in, in all that we do. We just can't avoid the fact that life is unpredictable and that suffering is surprising and death is a reality. This one elderly man that we were helping, he said to me, my bank account, my insurance policies, and even the closet that we got into that I thought was reinforced, it could not stop the damage of this storm. No matter what we do, we learn that life is unpredictable. Now, walking through those streets and just being reminded of that all over again, The next message is this, therefore, our vision and our mission is urgent. Life is fleeting. See, if you've got one more year to live or 70 years, it's minuscule in light of eternity. So James says it's like a vapor, it's like a mist. There's 142 people that are now gone and I don't know how many of them knew Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And this reminds us that our mission is, is not just one where we, we, we go about it casually. There, there's got to be passion and there has to be an urgency about our faith and about our witness. Though we, we have no opportunity to go back to the 142 that are now gone, we're going to all see people tomorrow. We're going to see people in the routine of our week. And I pray with all of my heart that we would just be reminded that there's no certainty about the future. That life is unpredictable. And we need to do everything we can, the Bible says, to redeem the time. To make the most of every opportunity. One time Jesus was talking to his followers and he says, don't say four months and then comes harvest. Like there's going to be a better time. No, right now is the time. We've got to be busy doing what God has assigned for us to do. There's got to be a sense of urgency. People are perishing. And we don't know if they know God. Eternity is coming. And so we've got to be passionate. I remember as a student at Central Bible College... We were called as a student body. They, they had a way of sending messages throughout the dormitories. We were asked to come to this courtyard that was at the center of the campus. There were policemen and, and school administrators. And they announced to us that a little girl was missing and they believed she was in the area. They asked if the student body would join in in the search. And we went neighborhood to neighborhood. We combed that area. And finally, one of the students found that little girl. When we went to class the next day, one of the professors that was so connected with the students and, you know, had the respect of the students, a real influence on our lives, he just kind of stood speechless for a while. And when he finally spoke, he said, I'm I'm trying to connect the dots in my heart. He said, on one side, I'm so proud of you. He said, because you were asked to be on mission because there was a little girl That was lost. And you believed she was lost. So you changed your schedules. 
you all work together and you put forth the effort it took to find this little girl that was lost. He said, on one side, I'm so appreciative of that kind of passion and response and, and commitment. But he said, I talk to you most every day about the heavenly calling on your life. To rescue those who are perishing, whose souls are not right with God. And I watch some of you, it's kind of like you're sleeping through that aspect of your calling. And he goes, when it comes to that responsibility, where's the passion? He said, if we had called for the student body to meet there in the courtyard, to just go door to door to, to share our story of the gospel, influencing our lives and grace, forgiving our sin and Jesus becoming our savior, how many of you would have shown up? He said, you've got to believe that people are lost and they're perishing. And your mission is one of urgency and be faithful and urgent and intentional with that calling. I've never forgotten that, but I've had to go back to it time and time again as as my own passion has been less than what it should be. And as I walked the streets and I went house to house and I realized that I I was in some areas where people didn't make it. The Lord just brought back to me the sense of calling and passion for eternal souls. And that we have no idea even what this afternoon holds. How many people sat in church last Sunday morning. They attended, maybe it was their first time. But regardless how many times they had attended, they never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they had no idea that they only had a few hours left. You see, there's got to be an urgency I don't want to over-dramatize the situation, but we've got to be reminded and maybe even jolted and awakened in times like this that we are not promised tomorrow. And what we do as a church, we've got to do it with a passionate fire for God and a love for souls that not one person would perish. Here's what Jesus said. I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might be saved. It is not my will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, the most important question of this day and the most important question in this room is this. Are you right with God? It's the most important question. Are you right with God? Another important question is, are you on fire for God? And are we on fire for God? And living in this, this community of comfort, in this country of comfort and blessing, I know we have our challenges, but we're so blessed as a nation. I pray that we would not be lulled to sleep. And if we need to be awakened and stirred in our hearts today, may the Holy Spirit be allowed to stir up the church and to put a fire back in our hearts so that we see with his eyes. And when we look at people around us, we are, we are drawn to try to turn the conversation so that we can share the love of Jesus and the grace of God and the power of his cross. Amen. Are you right with God? Are you on fire for God? As I walked those streets, I was reminded life is unpredictable. Our mission is one of urgency. And I was reminded that God is sovereign. The only context for worship in the midst of disaster is the biblical truth that God is sovereign. 
Satan had had this conversation with God and they talked about Job and the fact that Job only honored God because God was good to Job. And so one major like disaster after the other unfolded in the life of Job and it's all in chapter 1. And when we come to around verse 20, we're poised to wonder what his response will be. And the scripture says that Job got up at the news of his children being killed in a storm. And after receiving the message, he fell to his knees. And the Bible says he did so in worship. And he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the only context for worship in the midst of tragedy is the sovereignty of God. This is very interesting to me. Job did not say, the Lord has given, but Satan has taken away. He said, the Lord has given and the Lord takes away. He is talking about the sovereignty of God. And I want you to hear my heart today. The tragedy in Joplin and the tragedies in Job's life were not the work of God. They were the work of Satan. We see the work of Satan in Job chapter 1. But they were not out from under God's control. It was the work of Satan. But God was in control. I want to tell you there's no comfort in thinking that last Sunday night or this very day that Satan is in control. There's no comfort in that. I'm not saying... Saying that God is sovereign and God is in control answers our questions. Or in any way takes away the grief that we feel toward those who are lost and toward the devastation of that city. But I'm saying to you there is no hope in thinking for a moment that Satan is in control. And I'm just here to announce that God is sovereign. That God is in control. And somehow in that truth, we're going to find a context whereby we can worship even in the midst of our questions and our pain. God's sovereignty assures us that God is in control. It's interesting. When you get to the second chapter of Job, man, Job is asking the obvious questions. And God is, is very comfortable with our questions. Job is asking one after the other. Finally, by the 38th chapter, God speaks. And perhaps he would give explanation, but no. When God speaks, he asks 64 additional questions. So God answers Job's questions with additional questions. And when you read through it, you realize that what God is saying to Job is, Job, you've got a concept of my greatness, but you really have no idea how great I really am. You don't fully understand my greatness in both the calm and the calamity, in life and in death. And all of what God was doing and asking those questions was designed to help Job to know that God was sovereign. And And as I read through it, another thought came to me that what Job needed in response to what happened to him was not an explanation. What he needed was a revelation of the presence of God. As I walked the streets of Joplin and I talked to different people, 
I can tell you that what they needed was not a philosophy of God as it relates to suffering. What they needed was to know that the presence of the Lord was with them. For you see, if I could give them explanations of why the tornado happened and why it was so devastating, uh, they still will be left with perhaps loved ones that have been killed and houses that are gone. So though they have an explanation, they're still left. I don't think an explanation, I don't think an answer is the issue. I think the assurance of the presence of God is what is needed in the time of suffering. Not an answer, but the presence of the Lord. You know, you've discovered this if you're married, that when you're going through a hard time and you share that with your spouse, and you share your heart and the concerns and the confusion and the uncertainty you have, and you lay that all out to your spouse, you're really not after an answer. You just want someone to be there. And that's the same way it is with us and the Lord. We come and we pour out all of our questions, but we don't need explanations. We need the presence of God. And I'm here to announce something because I see it right in the book of Job. When Job says... The Lord gives, the word Lord there means the God who is with us and the God who is for us. When he starts with the Lord, he is talking about a God who has never left him and a God who has not failed him and a God who is with him and for him. He is declaring that this is the God who gives and takes away and in the sovereignty of God, he's finding the ability to worship. It challenges me, it amazes me, but it helps me to know that there is a context whereby we can lift our voices in worship to the Lord Almighty. You see, anybody who thinks Satan won last Sunday does not understand the truth. Satan is not in control and Satan has not won. Satan is defeated. Let me talk about this for a moment. When you study Job 1, Satan is having this conversation with God. Job knows nothing of that conversation. We get to see what's going on in Job's life in this earthly realm, and then we get to the curtains are pulled back, and we see a heavenly realm where Satan and God are having this conversation, and Satan is allowed to, to work this difficulty in Job's life. But Job knows nothing of that conversation. And All of the angelic hosts, no doubt in my mind, were were privy to the conversation between Satan and God. And as Satan is working the evil and the destruction, now Job is made aware of it. All the way to the point that his kids are dead. What's he going to do? The angels are poised and God is watching and Satan is watching. And Job drops to his knees in worship. Declaring that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there is no doubt the angels just start praising God because God won that day and Job won that day and Satan lost that day. Because he learned that Job wasn't honoring God just because he had a good life. Job honored God because God is God. 
In the good times and the bad, he's God. In the sunshine and the rain, he is God. And Job served God with that in kind of integrity and he worshiped even in his faith. Matter of fact, you don't see Satan again until Matthew 4. And that's where Jesus is led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And there were three specific temptations and Jesus won every single time. And by the end of Matthew and the end of Mark and the end of Luke and the end of John, you learn that Jesus even crushed the head of the enemy. And Paul picked up on it and said it is his name, the name of Jesus that is far above all principality, power, might, or dominion, or any other name that is named. That God made a show of Satan openly and God won the victory and Jesus has the key of death and hell. He is the almighty sovereign king, the alpha and the omega. He has passed through the heavenlies and is seated at the right hand of the father, the one who is in control. And I'm here to tell you today, Satan is not winning. He is defeated. God is in control. Hallelujah to the lamb of God. God is in control. Paul picked up on this and he said, okay, Job teaches us about the Lord, the one who is with us and the one who is for us. And so Paul concludes, therefore, what can be against us or who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of God? He says, principality nor power, things high or things low, life nor death, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And he keeps writing under the anointing and says, yes, we are more than conquerors. I want to tell you, in this world there is trouble, but there is coming a day where God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering and no more storms and no more devastation until that time our God is still in control. He is sovereign. And if I have a lot or have absolutely nothing, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise him today. Sometimes we have to praise him through our confusion. The times I've walked to a platform to preach and and, and I am preaching, it's like I'm having an out-of-body experience where I'm saying to myself, do you even believe that? Because of the very circumstance of my present life, there have been times where I've had to preach through my own questions, but it doesn't change the word of truth, and it doesn't change the God of truth. My circumstance, your circumstance, this storm or another storm does not move God from the throne of which he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our God is in control. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I love it. Jesus ascended. He said, wait, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll give you a counselor and a comforter and a leader. But if I go away, I'll come again. For you see, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. Well, if I go, I'm coming back. 
the same man that you've seen taken up from you will come again. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. For we, Psalm 23, last verse, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For the Lord himself, Revelation says, will wipe every tear from our eyes. In that city whose builder and maker is God. In that city where the Lamb is the light, we will gather around the throne and declare that he is the mighty God, our Savior. The blood washed from every kindred, nation, and tongue. We're going to all be there celebrating the very grace of God that has brought us into the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, in this world there are challenges, but my friend, this is not home. This is not home. Over this past few days, we had to make a quick trip to Memphis, which was home for about 10 years. Two weeks ago, we made a trip back to Pine Bluff, which was where I was born and raised, and and we pastored for 11 years. Last night, as Kelly was returning back to Broken Arrow, she came through the door and she said, it's great to be home. There's, we understand that. There's just a, a sense of being home. You live out of a suitcase for even a few days, and it's just so good to be home. So good. It's so good. I remember when Connor was just a little kid. Forgive me if there's a policeman in the room. Confession is good for the soul. I came into my neighborhood, and Connor says, he was just a little kid. He said, let me drive. I said, okay. So I get him over in my lap. I get him over in my lap, and he's got his hands on the steering wheel, and we start going down the road. I mean, he's not this, I mean, head to toe. He's like this tall, and he's in my lap, and he said, I'm driving, Daddy. He's looking all around. He's not paying any attention to the road. So I'm like, without him, I'm steering. I'm applying how fast we go and applying the brakes. And he's just, he's just looking around. And then finally we, we pull up in the drive. He goes, we're home. I let him out of the car. And I just felt this, this thought of the Holy Spirit saying to me, Ron, don't ever think you're driving. You think you're driving. You think you're setting the pace. You're just looking around. I'm telling you, underneath are the everlasting arms. And there is a God who is in the driver's seat. And at the end of the day, he is going to get us home. And when you get there, my friend, you're going to realize that you are finally home. And you're going to lay your weapons down because there's no more battle to fight. You're going to lay the tools down because there's no more work to do. And we're going to gather around the throne upon which the Lamb sits, who's worthy to receive glory and honor and power and might and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So don't you lose heart. Let it be an anchor to your soul. Weeping endures for the night. But joy comes in the morning. It's like it has no choice, does it? The night has to give way to the dawn. Winter has to give way to spring. Spring has to give way to summer. This suffering has to give way to victory. Pain has to give way to healing. Sorrow has to give way to joy. And this old, limited, messed up, twisted world has to give way to the rapture 
of the church and the redeemed of the Lord. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I just want to say good morning. Let's praise him.